If you have your Bibles, would you go with me to the book of Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. We've been in a series over the last several weeks, and we've been talking about go tell it on the mountain. We've been talking about the, the, the visitations from God to his people of that the good news is here, that Jesus is coming. And uh, if you have your bulletin on the back of the notes, you'll begin to see there's an opportunity there for you to come along with me. But you'll see the scripture references there as well as two blanks. Like I said, I've, only, I've got a message today, but it's only going to be a, it's gonna be a little bit shorter message because I want to save plenty of time for what we're going to be doing after church today. But this morning is still a very, very powerful time that I cannot, I'm very excited to be able to share with each and every one of you. In the book of Luke, chapter 2, verse 8, um, you know what? I think I'll let my little friend share this message today. Lights, please. And there were in the same country shepherds, abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them. The glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not. For behold, I bring you tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God, and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Well said, Linus. Well said. How many of you have already watched that movie this year? Anybody? Wow. Okay. Uh, Well, I'm going to be hopefully have a chance to watch it with my family this week. I am enjoying this holiday season. I'm enjoying this time of the year. And what a powerful reminder of just what, how good God is. As you just heard from Mr. Linus, the the scripture here in the book of Luke chapter 2 talks about the moment that the Savior, the Son of God, the Messiah, the Promised One came into our world. And so let's take this scripture by scripture and let's just break this down. There's going to be some really powerful things in here that I don't want you to miss out on. In the book of Luke chapter 2 and verse 8, and there were in the same region. Let's stop right there. So the same region. So that means we need to go back a little bit and read what happened before. And right before this, it talks about how Mary and Joseph came in to the city of Bethlehem and they found a place to stay and they laid the baby and they wrapped the baby in swaddling clothes and then laid him in a manger. And there, the, right there, the Savior, the Son of God, the promised Messiah, the hope of all mankind, the Redeemer of our souls has been born and come into this world. So in the same region, right in the same region of Bethlehem, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. In the culture of that day, shepherds were one of the lowest classes there were. In terms of businessmen and royalty and, and um, the everyday common person, the blue-collar worker, then you have the shepherds. They, re- they rarely were seen in town because they're always living in the fields with their flocks, keeping, keeping them. The only time you would see them is when they came to barter, barter with their sheep or, or buy food for their sheep or things like that. Most of the time, shepherds kept to themselves, kept to their lifestyle, stayed in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks. So typically, a lot of outcasts would become shepherds. A lot of ex-criminals would become shepherds. A lot of people that are cast out from their family or disowned by their parents, they had to find something to do to feed themselves. 
fields and take care of themselves, a lot of them would become shepherds. I hope I'm painting a picture for you this morning. This is one of the classes of people that you do not think would be able to even partake, even less have a part in what is happening on this Christmas morning. But the Bible then says, But the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear, and we would be too. And we would be too if this happened. So let me again tie this right here. So an angel of the Lord appeared to them, just as he had appeared to Zechariah, and just as he had appeared to Mary. Now the Bible does not mention Gabriel in this passage, so we are not confident that this is Gabriel who appeared to Zechariah and Gabriel who appeared to Mary. But I have a gut feeling that this assignment that was given to him for all this time, God's going to let him finish it. So just my own personal belief, this is Gabriel, because I think he wants to see this thing through. And so I think, I firmly believe that this is Gabriel, even though the Bible doesn't say it, but I'm just holding it to that. So the, the angel appeared to them just like he appeared to Zechariah and Mary. And the Bible says, the glory of the Lord shone round about them. Now, what's amazing to me is this is very different because in, in in the appearance of Zechariah and the appearance to Mary, it was a softer, more, you know, delivery of, of the importance of what's happening in their lives. But this is a full scale production. Now, this is the glory of the Lord. If you've read the Old Testament, the cloud of his glory or the fire of his presence or, 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 the, um, or, or the kabod or the shekinah, the very real presence of God manifested, this is something that you don't see every day. But these shepherds in the middle of the fields are witnessing the most spectacular show that you could possibly think of. And this reminded me of something that when you encounter God's true glory, it will bring a holy fear to your life. A lot of people don't walk in a fear of God because I would, I would ask you, maybe they've never truly experienced him. If you experience the true glory of God, you will live your life differently. And I want to encourage you this morning, if you have never had a true encounter with God, make that something your heart desperately hungers for. Because when you encounter God's presence, and you encounter the true glory of God to where you can leave that service or leave that prayer time and go, there is no way God was not here today. There was no, I, can, I can circle this date and I will remember this for the rest of my life. This was a moment that God let me experience him in his true glory. And when you get to experience that, the Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That once I experience that, now I begin to fully understand how my life should be and the choices I should make. Why? Because I have a new standard that determines those decisions, and it's called the glory of God. And when I experience the glory of God, I have a holy fear of how great and how mighty and how awesome God truly is. Are you with me this morning? In verse 10, the angel said to them, fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be to all people. So right there, the angel's like, let me disarm you guys. I know you're scared. I know this is new. I know you've never seen anything like this. Your parents have never seen anything like this. Your grandparents have never seen anything like this. We haven't seen anything like this in hundreds of years. Hundreds of years it has been 
since the presence and the glory of God was shown in a real way on this earth. But now on this beautiful evening or beautiful morning, early in the morning, it's happening. And he said, I'm going to disarm your fear right now. You cannot receive the blessing of God if you're filled with fear. Well, Pastor David, you just said to have a holy fear of God. Yes, but you cannot be, you can't receive a blessing from God if your life is filled with an unholy fear. Are you with me this morning? God wants to bless so many of you. And God wants to bless me and my wife and my children. And God wants to bless our church. But God's blessings are tied in his hands if we have fear in our hearts. Because if you have fear in your heart, then you can't receive what God has for you. Because you have stiff-armed him with your fear. How many of you have ever had, the ch- have ever had a pet that when you wanted to reach out to pet it, the pet kept backing up? Or maybe encountered a, a dog that had been abused or, or, or an animal that had been abused. Or, or maybe you've met, God forbid, a person who's been abused. And when you try to do something that would to anybody else would be received as love, but to them it's a standoff. They're not ready to receive it. Why? Because they're filled with fear. In the same way, we can't receive God's love and can't receive God's blessing unless we have a chance to have that fear cast out of us. And the Bible says that perfect love, God's agape love, will cast out all fear. This this holiday season, a lot of you may be going into some circumstances and there may be a chance fear may creep into your heart. Can I encourage you this morning, stiff arm that fear, push it out of your heart, out of your mind, and out of your spirit. Let God's perfect love overshadow and envelop you to cast out all fear so that this Christmas season you receive every blessing he has for you. Are you hearing me this morning? Behold, I'm going to bring you good news of great joy. I'm going to bring you the gospel, for gospel translates to mean good news. I'm bringing you a gospel. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now this is interesting to me that the angel did not say the word Bethlehem. Unto you is born this day in the city of Bethlehem a Savior. He doesn't say those words. He says unto you is born this day in the city of David. Why is this important? Because there are probably more than one baby born in that time. There could be more than one baby born in that 24-hour period. But the angel makes a clarity to say, this isn't just the city of Bethlehem. Prophetically, I'm telling you, this is the chosen one who has come through the line and the heritage of David, through the tribe of Judah. This is the one born to you, the promised Messiah, fulfilling the promises of God. This is the one coming in the city of his father, David. Are you with me today? Every word is there for a reason. Every name is used for a reason. In verse 12 it says, And this will be the sign unto you. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, and lying in a manger. And I want to tell you this morning, God's promises almost never come to pass how we think they will. The angel right there says, the promise is here. The promise has come. The Messiah has come. Your Savior, your chosen one has come. But he didn't come the way you probably thought he would, shepherds. 
I'm sure you sitting out here in the fields with sheep are always looking to that horizon, looking for this big, bold army led by this military hero riding on the back of a white horse with a sword in his hand, openly defying the Roman Empire that holds you captive, and he's going to drive them out. I'm sure that's what you've been waiting for. Or maybe you've been waiting for this king to, to, to all of a sudden ascend to the throne and sit down and decree as of today, Rome no longer has power and we are taking back our nation. But no, this will be the sign unto you. You'll find the baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a feeding trough for animals. That's how you'll find the chosen one. That's how you'll find the Messiah. Can I tell you this morning, just because it didn't happen the way you thought it would, doesn't mean God didn't keep his promise. So many of you may have be treasuring things or waiting for things from God or promises from God, and you've already got it mapped out in your head, well, God's going to do it like this. God's going to keep his word like this. My perfect world should look like this. My perfect life should look like this. If God really wants to bring this into my life, then surely he's going to do it like this. Can I tell you something? God loves curveballs, and God loves surprises, and God loves coming in the back door. Don't ever think it's going to be the way you think it is. God loves to throw things at you. Why? Because then you'll know without a shadow of a doubt what just happened was him and not me. Amen? I know it's a little different this morning, but I hope you're seeing the beauty of this story, and I hope it's more than just the Christmas story to you now. Because God gives us indicators and signs to confirm that he's at work. You're going to find a baby. He's going to be wrapped in swaddling clothes. Okay, if I go into every single house in Bethlehem, there's a pretty good chance I'm going to find a whole bunch of babies, and they're probably all going to be wrapped up in different kinds of cloths. What's the biggest sign? He ain't going to be laying in a crib. He's not going to be held by his mother. He's not going to be laying in the bed between his mom and dad. You're going to find him laying in a, in a manger. That's a pretty good odd indicator that this is a different baby. If this baby is not found in a house, or this baby is not found in a royal suite, or this baby is not found in the, in the principality or the, or the synagogue, but no, this baby's found laying in a manger, which means he's probably in some sort of establishment where you'll find animals. Are you, are you catching this? The first thing I want to tell you this morning to go tell them, but also tell yourself, he has come. He has come. This challenged me when I wrote this down because I want to live a Christian life. I want to live a life of glory to God that tells people Jesus has come. He's real. I carry him in my heart. I carry him in my voice. I carry him in my life. I carry him in my thoughts. I carry him in where I go and what I do. Every time you see me, Lord Jesus, I pray they see you. Because you are real, you have come. And you have made me a new creature. Jesus has come. The promise has been fulfilled. Our salvation has been achieved and atoned for. God's redemption work has been finished this morning. To all of you watching online and for all of you in this room today, you don't have to search any longer for the answers to your questions. You don't have to search any longer for what is the meaning of life. 
You don't have to search any longer to what's going to happen tomorrow or why am I here or what is the purpose for even existing. I'll tell you the answer to all these questions and more questions you may not have even thought to ask yourself. And the answer to all of them is Jesus has come. In him we live. In him we move. In him we have our very being. The Bible says we can cast all our cares on him because he cares about us. The Bible says that we fall in love with him only because he first loved us. The Bible says that while we were even still yet sinners, he came and died for us. He's the answer. He's the hope. He's the love. He's the peace. He's the joy. He is everything we could ever want He is everything we could ever need. And he did not withhold himself. And he did not withhold his inheritance. And he did not withhold his power. And he did not withhold his wisdom and his glory. But no, he set it aside, came down, became a humble baby, lived a perfect life, offered his perfect life as a sacrifice, died on that cross, rose again on the third day. And I am here to tell you with utmost certainty and victorious declaration, Jesus has come. Hallelujah. Verse 13. And suddenly there was with the angels a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace and goodwill towards men. What a concert! What a production! You got one angel standing in the glory of God. Then you got the heavenly hosts appearing, the choirs, the, the instruments, the ensembles, the vocal groups, the orchestras, all of the heavenly hosts swirling in glory all around. I'm sure the, the shepherds had to turn their head every which way to see it all. It was the most beautiful, spectacular show anyone has ever seen. And poor outcast shepherds got to see it. That's how good God is. I can't tell you how many times I've seen what I thought were spectacular shows. I've been to the circus. I've seen elephants stand on their hind legs, and then when they sit down, the whole ground shakes. I've seen trapeze artists fly 20 feet in the air between trapeze bars, and they put their lives on the line, and they catch each other. I've I've been to... I've been to Disney World and seen the light show spectacular on the side of the Magic Kingdom's castle. I've been to Hollywood Studios where they light the whole lake up among the fountains and the whole thing just explodes in color and music. I've been to Stone Mountain, Georgia where the entire side of the mountain lights up like a fireworks show with lasers and all kinds of things. But I can tell you this morning with absolute certainty, I would trade every one of those memories to see this show. To see this spectacular moment where the angelic hosts of heaven proclaim glory to God in the highest and on earth peace and goodwill towards men. And we don't know how long they did it, but it was enough to make a moment. It was enough to change the lives of these shepherds who were watching. They couldn't hold a candle to what these shepherds must have seen. Verse 15, when the angels went away from them back to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, That was a pretty good show. Let's go back to sleep. The the shepherds said to one another, Dude, how much NyQuil did we take last night? 
Or maybe the shepherds said to one another, what was in that gumbo? No. They said, let's go tell someone about this. We can't hold this in. We, 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 can't, we can't pretend this didn't happen. Why did it happen to us? Why did we get to see this? Let's go see what they talked about. And then let's go tell everyone else that we've seen it. You see, the first thing we have to see here is they had two choices. The same choices Zechariah and Mary had. The same two choices you and I have this morning. When God does something in your life, when God does something in front of you, when God speaks something to you, whether it's in your prayer time, through his very word, through the mouth of a messenger, or through the mouth of someone in your life, no matter how the message or the promise or the, or the sign or the wonder happens, but when God does something in your life, you and I, we have two options. We can doubt it and not believe it. Or we can walk it out in faith and see it happen. We only have two choices. I don't believe it. I doubt this is real. I doubt this is God. Or I just don't want to believe this. Even though it may be God, I don't want to believe it. Or I can let my faith rise. And I can walk it out and let my faith actually have works. Because faith without works is dead. It's one thing to believe God said something. It's another thing to live like you believe God said something. And so many Christians in the world today, they hear the word on a weekly basis, but then their lifestyle does not reflect they heard anything. And that's when the Lord reminded me, my son, there's a difference in hearing my voice and listening to my voice. I can't tell you how many times I've heard my wife say things but I didn't listen to her say it. I can't tell you how many times I've heard people say things to me, but then they'll say it again later. I'm like, you never said that. Yes, I did. You just weren't listening. When you listen and take in what someone's saying, you will react accordingly. In the same way, these shepherds said, let's go and see to Bethlehem and let's see this thing that has happened this thing which the Lord has made known to us. So they passed the test. They responded correctly. Verse 16, and then they went with haste. Oh, I like that. With haste. They didn't take their time. They didn't go, let's go in the morning. They didn't go, hey, let's finish dinner, and then let's head that way. They immediately dropped their staffs, dropped the sheep, and ran to see what this was. Ran to be sure that they didn't miss out on this moment because they didn't know how long the Messiah would be here. They didn't know long how long the baby would be there. They didn't know how long the family would be there. They didn't want to miss it. And can I ask you this morning, do you approach every opportunity to be in God's presence that way with haste? Because I don't want to miss a thing. I don't want to miss the worship. I don't want to miss the word. I don't want to miss the fellowship. I don't want to miss the altar. I don't want to miss a service. I don't want to miss an opportunity to come together. I make haste. It's a priority to me because wherever God is, that's where I want to be. We've lost that in our church. We've lost that in our culture. And I put the primary blame on the leadership because we have focused sometimes way too much on creating an experience rather than creating an opportunity. 
I'm as guilty of it as anybody. We want all the ducks in a row. We want all the lights to work. We want the music to be cued at the right time and the video to be played at the right time. And all that stuff's important. But if that stuff gets in the way of simply creating an opportunity for people to encounter him, I've lost track of why we're doing this. And that's why I tell you this morning as your pastor, my top priority for every meeting, every service, every prayer time, every moment of every service we have, everything during our week, the social media we post, all of it has one priority, and that's to create an opportunity for you and all around and all watching and all who have yet to come to create an opportunity for all of you to encounter the one who loves you. Are you with me today? That's what church is all about. Their passion reflected in their faith, and they ran with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning the child. They made it known. We got to tell somebody. This cannot be a secret. We've got to tell somebody. We have to let the whole community, the whole city know that this is real, that this is the, that this is the Messiah has come, the chosen one has come. Everyone needs to know about this. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds had told them. Wondered. The Greek word for that, y'all pray for me, is thamasio. I think I did pretty good there. Thomasio. And the word Thomasio for the word wandered means to be amazed, to marvel, to be astonished. Now, you can fill in the blank in your own mind why any of those reactions are happening. Maybe some people wondered and were astonished because they truly believed it. Maybe some people wondered and marveled and astonished because they were like, who are these guys and what have they been doing out in the fields? Maybe they were wondered, marveling, and astonished because this made no sense to them. What are you talking about? Our Messiah is a baby. But I want to tell you something that really baffles me when I read this. Because let's go to the very next verse. Mary treasured up all these things in her heart, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. Do you see what's not written there? And then those who heard it went back with them to see the child. Have y'all ever noticed that? They made known what had happened. They told everyone they could. And nobody went to the manger. Nobody went to see this baby. Nobody went to see what they were so excited about. And so they just returned glorifying and praising God for everything they had seen which was just as they had been told. But you know, in the midst of that depressing thought, the Lord spoke to me and said, they did what they were supposed to do. They cannot be held responsible for what everybody else does. And I want to encourage you with that this morning. You are not responsible for whether or not people receive God's love from you. You are not responsible for whether or not they ridicule you or accept you. You are not responsible for whether they agree with what you have to say or they don't agree with what you have to say. You are not responsible for whether those accept you and your lifestyle before the Lord or they reject you because of your lifestyle before the Lord. All you are responsible for is that you do what he asked you to do and leave the rest up to him. 
How many times in this world, how many times in your own life have maybe you been afraid to share God's love or maybe something God's telling you to share with someone or maybe been afraid to witness to someone for Christ because of fear of how they might respond? You are not responsible for that. You're responsible to do what God's asked you to do. God is responsible to draw them. Are you hearing me this morning? This is one of the most holy times of the year, one of the most blessed times of the year. This is the perfect opportunity to share God's love with someone, to share the spirit of giving because God first gave his one and only son. Can I encourage you before next Sunday, our Christmas Eve service, some of you probably already have. I've already been told by a lot of you that you're trying to get your whole family here next week. Continue to try to do that. But for those of you that may not have even thought about it, I just want to come and sit and enjoy a beautiful service. Great. You're more than welcome to do that. But can I give you a little bit of a challenge this week? What if this coming Sunday is their moment? What if this coming Sunday is their opportunity? What if this coming Sunday is the chance for God to take that cracked door and finally push it open to what he has for them? What if this coming Sunday, this is the finally the best Christmas Eve of their lives? Just what if? Just what if? But how will they know unless someone makes it known? How would these people have heard? How would these people even have the chance to wonder, to marvel, to be astonished? Unless some shepherds made it known. Are you with me today? Right here in this moment, I can see it on a lot of y'all's faces. You're seeing people's faces. You're picturing that person you know needs to be here next week. Could be a family member. Could be a spouse. Could be a child. Could be a cousin, aunt, uncle, grandparent, co-worker, friend down the road, next door neighbor. But you see them in your, in your mind right now. That is not an accident. That is God asking you, will you try to make it known? Get them here next week. We're going to have multiple opportunities for them to experience the goodness, the glory, the power of God. And we are going to do a true gospel message next week on Christmas Eve. Please bring as many as you can here because this could be where the cracked door gets pushed open. And this could be the greatest Christmas Eve of their lives. We all promise to do that with me? Amen. Last thing. Go tell them he's coming. Go tell them he's coming. But Pastor David, you said he's already come. Yes, but guess what, church? He's coming again. He's coming again. And this time when he comes, he ain't coming as a little baby. This time as he comes, he's not coming as a helpless child. This time when he comes, he's not coming in the humble town of Bethlehem. This time when he comes, he's going to split the sky. He's going to come with the hosts of heaven. He's going to come riding on a white horse, and he's going to take his children home. And those who have died already will be caught up first, and then those of us who are still alive and watching will will leave and go with him, and forever we will be with him. Aubrey, would you come this morning? Something I want to really point out here, let's go back real quick to verse 19. Mary not only took in these moments, 
But she pondered them. She meditated on them. She made them something evident in their lives. She reflected on it. She would look back over the next years as this baby would grow into a toddler. As this toddler would grow into a young boy. As this young boy would grow into a teenager. As this teenager would grow into a young man. As this young man would grow into a full man. All through the 33 years of his life, Mary watched, pondered, and reflected. I'm sure when that, however tall he was, muscular carpenter, Jesus of Nazareth, came home for supper out of the wood shop and sat across the table from his mama, I'm sure she looked in those beautiful eyes and she saw the same eyes that opened for the first time in that stable in Bethlehem and held that precious baby. She had the privilege and the honor of teaching God how to talk, teaching God how to walk, teaching God how to be safe outside, teaching God how to have a curfew. She had the privilege and the honor of telling God, turn the music down. She had the privilege and the honor of telling God, go clean up your room. She had the privilege of the honor of coming in going, good grief, clean up this mess. Were you born in a barn? Mama? Yes, I was. I can't wait to sit down with Mary and just talk. Mary, did you know? But she treasured these things. I can think about a lot of things that we treasure. Some of you may have a collection of baseball cards at home. Ladies, I would love to see them. Please bring them someday. But even if you don't, I remember having a card when I was a kid. My favorite baseball player on the Atlanta Braves when I was a kid was David Justice. He played in the right field. I had his rookie card, and I thought it was the coolest thing in the world. Because Number one, he's David, I'm David, so we know each other. But number two, he played on the 1995 World Series team. He was my favorite player. So to have that card was a treasure to me. But can I tell you now, 30 years later, I don't know where that thing is. Because I found things that I treasured more. But I can tell you something that I do have that I've had for several years. In my office, I wish I'd taken a picture of it. I should have. Anytime you come to the main campus, ask me to go see my office and I'll show it to you. I might even bring it here one day. But I have a Mallard Duck gumball machine. How many of you you remember those from years, years ago? It's this this gumball machine about this long with with a bowl on top and a duck head. And you turn the bow in the front to make the gumballs come out. They're classics. It belonged to my grandfather. When my grandfather was 70 years old, he passed away unexpectedly, and I was at college. I was the only grandson that was not at his bedside when he passed. It broke my heart. They let me go into his office after he passed, and they said, what do you want to take with you? I knew what I wanted. Because for over 20 years, whenever I'd go visit him and grandma, I would go into that office and on his desk would be sitting that gumball machine. And I would take a penny or a nickel or whatever I had and I would get a gumball and I'd sit and we'd chew gum and talk together. And I can can tell you it's sitting in my office next to a picture of him because I treasure it. I ponder on it. I reflect on it. This is what Mary did. Things you treasure, you'll reflect on it. You'll ponder it in your heart. 
It could be a good thing. It could be a bad thing. Some of us treasure bad things. We hold on to bad memories. We reflect and ponder on bad memories, on things we need to let go of, things that are making us bitter and angry, things that are making us resentful, things that are stealing away the joy and the blessing of God in our lives. But we treasure it for some reason. And can I tell you something that God told me to tell you this morning? Don't treasure your trash. It's trash. Throw it away. Ponder, meditate, and reflect on things that matter. On things that are going to help you going forward. On things that make you think about the goodness of God. The greatness of God. The power of God. The wonder of God. How awesome God is. Treasure the treasures of heaven. And throw out the trash. Pastor David, I'm a hoarder. Maybe you need to throw some things away and treasure the good things. The Bible says, store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and rust cannot corrupt and thieves cannot break in and steal. You know what the treasure of heaven is? Oh, David, it's, Pastor David, it's gold. Nope, that's pavement up there. Well, Pastor David, it's precious jewels. Nope, that's the gates of heaven. Well, Pastor David, it's got to be like the, the richest foods or, or the greatest drinks. Nope. In heaven, they grow that stuff on their trees. But Pastor David, is it the presence of God? That is a treasure, but that's not what God treasures. What does God call treasure, church? What's the one thing that Jesus thought was so precious it was worth dying for? Us. Us. So store up for yourself people in heaven. Store up for yourself souls. Store up for yourself precious lives so that the moth and the rust cannot corrupt and the thieves cannot break in and steal. Who's the thief? He comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly. Would you stand with me this morning? He's coming back, church. He's coming back, and when he comes back, he's going to receive us to himself. And I just want to ask you this question this morning. Are you going to go tell them he has come? And are you going to go tell them he's coming again? With every head bowed and every eye closed, the altar call is simple. I'm not going to call you forward. Before we go and eat some great food and play some games and have some fun together, I want to ask you this one question today. Are you going to make him known? These shepherds did one thing we know of in Scripture. They discovered him and they made him known. That's their whole story. We saw him. We heard about him. And then we saw him. And then we told everybody we could tell about him. And then we lived, we lived a life changed. With every head bowed, every eye closed. Can I ask you this morning, are you willing this Christmas season to make him known? I'm not saying don't celebrate with your family. I'm not saying don't take time for yourself. I'm not saying don't celebrate the, the festivities and, and have a great time and, and, and go into your house and celebrate with your children and your grandchildren. All that's beautiful. But in this Christmas season, will you make it a mission 
Everywhere I go, I make Jesus known. I share his kindness. I share his goodness. I don't get so agitated in this holiday season. I'm not going to let the things that normally stress me out, stress me out. I'm not going to let the things I used to treasure that are trash hold me back anymore. I'm not going to let those thoughts that creep into my head every Christmas season about things that I've missed out on or hurts that I've experienced or the way things have happened to me. I'm not going to let what's happened or I'm not going to let what my circumstances. If shepherds, outcasts, the lowest of the low can experience the glory of God and experience the wonder of the, of the Christ and be able to share Him with others, I can too. If that's you this morning, with every head bowed, every eye closed. Pastor David, I accept the challenge. I not only want to know Christ more, I want to make him known, and I'm going to do my best to bring someone next Sunday to the Christmas Eve service so that just maybe that cracked door can be wide opened and they can have their best Christmas Eve ever because they'll meet Jesus. If you accept the challenge, just slip up your hand. Just slip up your hand all over this room. Hallelujah. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your word. I thank you, God, for the opportunity to hear you, to spend time with you. And Lord, I pray, Lord, that even in my life and the lives of all of us in the congregation, that, Lord, you would help us to treasure you this Christmas. That, Lord, just like the shepherds, we would seek it out. We would want to know you more. And, Lord, we would want to make you known. Lord, everywhere we go, we have a good attitude. Everywhere we go, we show compassion, we show love, we show kindness. And Lord, we look for the cracked doors. We look for those doors, God, that are just barely opened to your goodness and your grace. If all it takes is a smile or an encouraging word, but if you can, I can just tell the door just cracked open. And we use that as an opportunity to share your love, to invite someone to make a difference. This holiday season, Lord God, may we truly tell the world that you've come to save them, made a way for them, to redeem them. And may we tell those that have walked with you, God, to live a life that's worthy because you're coming again. And we want to be ready for you.